Such a, such a sweet presence of the Lord this morning in this place. You can be seated this morning for the reading of the word. Exodus 25, 8 through 9. I'm going to jump over to chapter 30, verse 1 through 10. The Lord has been speaking to us, church. He's been speaking to our pastor. He's been speaking to us. And I don't know about you, but I have been thoroughly enjoying this series. And I'm thankful that our pastor's had his ear up to heaven. And heaven is speaking. Amen. Exodus 25, 8 and 9. And let them make me a sanctuary that I may dwell among them, according to all that I shew thee after the pattern of the tabernacle and the pattern of all the instruments thereof. Even so shall ye make it. Jump over to chapter 30, verses 1 through 10. And thou shalt make an altar to burn incense upon of shittim wood, shalt thou make it. A cubit shall be the length thereof, and a cubit the breadth thereof. Four square shall it be, and two cubits shall be the height thereof. The horns thereof be of the same. And thou shalt overlay it with pure gold, the top thereof, and the sides thereof round about, and the horns thereof. And thou shalt make unto it a crown of gold round about. And two golden rings shalt thou make it under the crown of it by the two corners thereof upon the two sides of it shalt thou make it and thou shalt be for places for the staves to bear it withal and thou shalt make thy staves of shittim wood and overlay them with gold and thou shalt put it before the veil that is by the ark of testimony before the mercy seat that is over the testimony where i shall where i will meet with thee and aaron shall burn thereon sweet incense every morning when he dresseth the lamps, he shall burn incense upon it. And when Aaron lighteth the camp, the lamps at even, he shall burn incense upon it, a perpetual incense before the Lord throughout your generations. Ye shall offer no strange incense thereon, nor burnt sacrifice, nor meat offering, neither shall ye pour drink offering thereon. And Aaron shall make an atonement upon the horns of it once in a year with the blood of the sin offering of atonements. Once in the year shall he make atonement upon it through your generations. It is most holy unto the Lord. Would you bow your heads with me? Would you do something with me this morning? Would you just bow your heads and would you open your hands before you? Just symbolically saying, Lord, I ready for you to speak to me in this congregation this morning will you do that as we pray over pastor and over this word and over this moment lord we thank you for this holy moment we thank you for these moments you give us together gathering together lord where we get to encounter your presence where we get to eat of your word lord and i pray for a spirit of freedom for pastor to preach that you've pushed put in his heart lord and i pray we be ready to receive that word that we are ready to partake we are ready to eat of your word this morning we give you thanks and praise for these moments you give us together. In Jesus' name, amen. Praise the Lord. It's good to see everybody in the house of the Lord. We'll get in the Word in just a moment. I want to remind you tonight, all you men, all the women and the men are going to split up tonight. We're going to have something special. We're going to meet over here. The men are going to meet over here in the uh, youth room right off of the foyer, and we're going to have chairs on the bottom for all the senior citizens where they don't have to climb the steps. We got Brother Terry Watson from Jonesboro. He pastors a church down there running about 1,200, 1,500 people, and he's a good friend of mine. He's going to be speaking 
speaking to us men, and you will not want to miss him. He's a great anointed man of God, built a great church down there, and you're going to really enjoy that. Let's get right into the word of the Lord. We're on our sixth sermon in our series on the tabernacle of Moses and the and its furnishings. And we preached on the brazen altar and the laver that's in the courtyard and what they all represent already. When we Last week, we moved into the holy place, and we talked about the meaning of the symbolisms that's seen in the table of showbread. You see that up there. And we couldn't preach everything about it because of time, but I just want to try to hit on the highlights of the symbolisms that's represented in the Old Testament through these types and shadows and these furnishings that represent our faith today. Let's get right into what we're going to preach this morning. The altar of incense is what we're going to be talking about. And the altar of incense that is mentioned in our text that was inside the holy place of this tabernacle, the top of the altar was square and it was one cubic per side and the whole altar was two cubics length. A cubic was about 20 inches or just under two feet. So this means the table was 20 inches wide. It was one foot, eight inches wide, and it was about two cubics high, 40 inches, which is about three feet, four inches tall. Now, it's not a big uh, table at all. What does that represent? First of all, I do not know if the priest got on their knees or if the priest actually stood and serving at this table. I could not find that. But one thing for sure is, whether standing or kneeling, we ha- he had to bow himself before this altar because it was only three feet tall. And can I say that there is no spiritual maturity outside of humility, which is the bowing down or the bowing down in reference uh, to the presence of Almighty God. It's only through the spirit of humility can we as a church and as a people rise to success. The Bible tells us in James chapter 4 verse 10, humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord and he shall lift you up. The only way to exaltation is through humility. It's through bowing before God. And let me say that we all want to be exalted. We all want to be uh, sitting in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Uh, We all want to be successful. We all want to achieve. We all want to do good things, but we cannot do it if we lose our humility. It was Peter that said in 1 Peter 5 and 6, humble yourselves, therefore under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you and notice this in due time. And we talked about how in the outer court it represents the fundamentals of our faith. It represents the elementary things of our faith. But to move in means that we're moving on into maturity. And can I tell you, when you move in and you begin to go into these different stations and you begin to bring humility to yourself, it says God will exalt you in due time. In other words, it's not going to happen overnight. Don't look for the instantaneous success syndrome overnight. We live in a country that has spoiled us rotten. Everything's instant, instant, instant. You sit in a McDonald's line look more than a minute and you're mad. Everybody know what I'm talking about. If you come to a stoplight in Popper Bluff, they're getting worse and worse and worse. It seemed like some of them things take an hour before they change and you're sitting there getting fuming. Come on, like, come on, like, why in the world are we in such a hurry in the first place? But the problem of it is there is no superstars that have, that gain super, uh, super uh, entitlement overnight in the kingdom of God. Now I want you to know that when you begin to start humility, start humbling yourself before God, your growth is little by little, bit by bit, and in due time, God will exalt you in the places that he wants to exalt you. Do not get weary in well-doing because you will reap if you faint not. Can I have an amen? It's a process. Maturity is a process. It's a journey. More development is stopped and hindered due to conceitedness, ego, arrogance, pride than anything else. And no 
matter how successful, how blessed, how fruitful, how talented a person or a church is, they will not finish well if they do not keep a spirit of humility. God has blessed us greatly in the last 37 years of my ministry here, but we got to stay humble. It's I, I'm here to tell you, we got to be a humble people. Can I have an amen? As a matter of fact, the Bible even says in Proverbs 16 and 18, pride goeth before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. Paul said, hey, take heed unless you think you stand, lest you can fall. Stay humble. Matter of fact, humility is the gateway to being exalted, to being promoted in the kingdom of God. You want to be promoted in the kingdom of God? And if you want to grow, if you want to excel, if you want to mature, then stay humble before the Lord. Now, that may not be what you would call great preaching, but I want to tell you it is true. Without humility, you will not grow in God. Can I have an amen? The altar of incense was made of acacia wood or shittim wood, both of them is the same word, and overlaid with gold. As we said last week, the table of showbread, which represented Christ, the bread of life, we talked about that, was made in the exact same way. The acacia wood, we said, represented Christ's humanity, and it being overlaid with gold represented Christ's humanity being pure, that he was without sin. However, the altar of incense does not represent Jesus Christ, the the bread of life like that of the table of showbread, but it represents the prayers of the saints. This is why that David said in Psalms 141 verse 2, he says, my, may my prayer be set before you as an incense. Now when he said that, he said, Lord, I want my prayers to be as an incense. That was a knowledge that David had about this table. The altar of incense serve us as a symbol of the prayers of God's people. And matter of fact, we see that when Zechariah the priest in Luke chapter 1 verse 10 was offering incense in the temple, all of the different worshipers on the outside were praying. In the vision of heaven, John saw the elders around the throne and they were holding golden bowls full of incense, which they said was the prayer of the saints. Listen to what he said in Revelations 5 and 8. And when he had taken the book, the four priests and the four and twenty elders fell down before the Lamb, talking about the Lamb of God. Jesus Christ. And them falling down speaks of their humility. And then he says, having every one of them harps and golden vials full of odors, which are the prayers of the saints. He tells us what they are. And then looking in Revelations chapter 8, verse 3 and 4. And another angel came and stood at the altar, having a golden censer, and there was given unto him much incense that he should offer it with the prayers of all the saints upon the golden altar which was before the throne and the smoke of the incense which came with the prayers of the saints ascended up before God out of the angel's hands. So what is this saying? What that table represents is every time that priest would go in there and he would go by the table of incense and he would begin to burn them incense it was as if he was taking all of the prayers of the children of Israel and bringing them before God, laying them down in intercessory, lighting that incense, and then that incense would be like a smoke, an aroma that would go up before God, which would be well-pleasing. That's what that represented. There is something else that we have to see here. Oh, how hallelujah, I'm about to preach. There, and you know, every time I say that, Sam and Zach says, oh, is he going to preach? 
They, they're always on me about that. That's just a saying I have. But there's something that we have to hear of most importance. The altar of incense being made of a K of wood represent the person's praying's humanity. We, you and I are robed in flesh. And when we kneel down, we are like a K of wood. But there's something different that has to happen in order to be a prayer warrior at this altar. The gold represents the prayers that they have to be pure prayers. They have to come from a man that's being purified. Their prayer had to be from a holy position like its supreme ruler, the bread of life, Jesus Christ. Even as Jesus had to be holy and had to be separate from sinners and undefiled, even so do you and I when we begin to offer prayers upon this altar. The brazen altar is made for the sinner's prayer, but the altar of incense is made for the saint's prayer. Oh, come on now. We're going to get into some difference here. As we stand, said a few weeks ago, the furnishings of the holy place does not sanctify us. The laver does, which is on the outside of the courtyard. Just going through the rituals by visiting these furnishings of the table of showbread at these different, sh and the, at the, at these different stations and the altar of incense in the holy place, just visiting them, which represents the table of showbread, represents the disciplines of of the reading of the word of God and visiting the uh, the altar of incense represents uh, praying. Yet though them are disciplines that we have to have, they do not sanctify us in themselves. They are stations that is required for us to grow in our sanctification. But just going through the motions, going through the routines, just doing something to please someone out of responsibility does not sanctify us. Are you with me? Me just going in and saying, well, I prayed today just to ease my conscience. I went and I studied. I read the word of God today. Just going through those motions does not make me right with God. Come on, somebody. Matter of fact, if the heart has not been set apart and if the word isn't from a heart touched of God, then our works are of no avail and they profit us very little. If I'm going to do this, it's got to come out of my heart and not out of my works. As the incense was burned with fire from off the altar of burnt offerings, even so our prayers must be kindled with heaven's grace as well. They must come from a heart that has been touched by God and a heart of dedication that has been sanctified. This is why that James says in James 5 and 6, the effectual, how many wants effectual prayers, which means effective? How many wants effective prayers? He said the effect, effectual, effective prayers he did, but he left. An, he put another word in there. The effectual fervent, say fervent, which means passionate, intense prayer, hot, burning prayer. This altar is not made for us just to come in and be slothful in praying. It is to be made when we come in with a heart that's been touched of God. It's to where we bow down with intensity and passion, and we get a hot prayer. It's a prayer of that, that's so intense enough that we're beginning to deliver it before the presence of Almighty God. We're not there to be sanctified. We're there because we are sanctified. Are you with me? Our prayers have to come from off the altar of consecration. Matter of fact, that's why the Psalm 66 and 18 says, if I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord ain't even going to hear me. Matter of fact, Psalms 34, 15 says, the eyes of the Lord upon the righteous and his ears are extended into their cry. That is talking about the people that are at the altar of incense. How many knows that if you're a sinner, your prayers are heard at the brazen altar? 
But in here, this altar of incense is made for the saints. It's made for the congregation. It's made from those of an upright heart that's got a sanctified heart that wants to see and hear and, and see and hear God for themselves. They want to see a move of God. They're hungry. They're passionate people. They're desirous people. They want to look into the things of God. They want to search happily after him that they might feel him and he's not far from those that does. Oh God, help me preach. Woo! Just going through the motions and satisfying our conscience through good works will not produce the results that we desire. Just praying to be praying. It's important that we pray but what's the attitude of our prayer? Matter of fact, it was Paul that said in 1 Corinthians 8 and 1, knowledge puffs up, but it's love that's going to edify. Now, what did he mean by that? When we just go through the acts of works without our hearts being touched and edified by the love of God that shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost, according to Romans 5, 5, then we become puffed up, overconfident, arrogant, and prideful because we're trying to serve God through flesh and good works instead of by the spirit of the living God. This is why that John 15 and 7, Jesus said, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, you shall ask what you will, and then it shall be done unto you. The first requirement is, Jesus said, you have to abide in me. You have to abide in me. Effective prayers demands knowing and experiencing God first. We have to have the touch of God upon our lives. Then after we have that touch of God, we put his word in our hearts so that we may know what to pray and how to pray. And then faith come up by hearing and hearing by the word of God. We read and study the word. It's not by my good works in which I please God, but I please God by my sanctification. And my sanctification compels me to know more of God and to do more for him. It creates the disciplines inside of me. It's not something that I'm doing out of duty and responsibility. It's something I'm doing out of delight. Amen? I'm not doing it so I can try to earn merit. I'm doing it because I love him. The love of God's edified me. The touch of God in my heart has made me want to serve God. The touch has made me want to know him more. I cannot earn God's blessings by me working at these different stations in the holy place. My works come out of my sanctification. In other words, I don't work to be saved. I work because I am saved. Can I have an Amen? My prayers are not answered by what I do. They're answered by what he's already done, how much I appropriate faith in what he's done at the cross for me. Can I have an amen? amen. We're not saved by grace. We are saved by grace, not by works. Amen. amen. Anything else I trust in is polluted, and it's a form of idolatry. And matter of fact, that's why Paul said in Romans 8 when he talks about how that knowledge puffs up, he goes on and he says, and it's caused you to dwell in idolatry. We put more faith sometimes in the disciplines than we do in the finished work of Christ on the cross. Amen? If I do this and if I do that and if I do this, then I'll gain this merit. No, I've gained merit for what Jesus already done on the cross. I find favor in what Christ done in Christ alone. Amen? And then when I understand that principle and I fall in love with him, guess what I'll do? I'll be glad to read the word of God. I'll be glad to go to the, the table of incense and pray. Why? Because I want to know him more. And I want him to be able to say, well done, thou good and faithful servant. It makes us say a lot of times when we're just going to the different stations, just going through the acts, just doing it, it makes us, look what I've done, look what I've achieved, look what I've accomplished. 
I want this church to know something. When you see the growth of this church, we absolutely didn't have anything to do with it. God done it all through us by us submitting to him. It's a work of Christ. Amen. I hear people, oh man, well you've done a great job. If there's any greatness or goodness in us, it's the reflection and the beauty of the Lord of what he's doing in us and through us. It has nothing to do with us. We gotta stay humble. Our prayers and our serving at these stations have to be of the most holy persuasion. This is why that once a year on the day of atonement, the high priest was to put blood on the horns of the altar of incense to cleanse it. He had to keep that altar cleansed. It had to have the proper attitude of prayer upon it. The altar of incense was called the most holy to the Lord. Look at verse 10 of our text. And Aaron shall make an atonement upon the horns of it once a year with the blood of the sin offering of atonements. Once in the year shall he make atonement upon it throughout your generations. It is most holy under the Lord. Now, God's primary desires for his people was to be holy. Them simply going through the rituals required by the law, which included them burning the incense at this altar of incense, was not good enough for the, for the Israelites to be right with God. Just them doing it did not make them right with God. The Lord wanted their hearts and their lives to be right, not just their formalities and their rituals and their routines. And the same way it is today, our habits and traditions, though they may be good habits, though they may be good traditions, we have routines that we do every day, don't get caught up in the systematic uh, routines and the systematic habits and the patterns of what you do and think, this is acceptable to God. What's acceptable to God is how you've accepted Jesus at the cross and them patterns are to be a result of your loving devotion toward him. Can I have an Amen. During Isaiah's time, the people were disobedient to God. We know that. And yet they still maintained the temple rites. They still went through all these procedures. And that's why God said through the prophet, stop bringing me these meaningless sacrifices or these meaningless offerings. Quit doing it. You're trying to put your stock and barrel into meaningless offerings. In reality, it wasn't them. He didn't want them to just follow their rituals and habits and traditions, routines. He said, that's not what's so important. What was more important to God was not that they burned the proper incense at the proper time with the proper fire, with the proper implements. What was more important to him was them having a proper relationship before him. That's what God wanted. Notice in the book of Revelations how that the angel delivered the prayers before the throne of God. They fell down before him in their humility. The vows or the bows that held the prayers of the saints was made of pure gold, representing that the prayers that was submitted to them by the elders and by these angels were the prayers of righteous people. They were holy prayers. Can I have it? They were pure prayers. They were not prayers that was prayed to consume things upon their own lust. They were in golden vows. They were of the most holy fragrance before God. You know what James says? You have not because you ask not, but he says you ask and you still don't have because you ask prayers to consume it upon your own lust. These were not those types of prayers. They were prayers from the righteous. That's why that James says in James 5, 16 again, the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man's what's going to avail much. The altar of incense was holy to the Lord and it was atoned for with the blood of the sacrifice that was offered in the courtyard at the brazen altar. 
It is the blood also of Christ applied to our hearts that makes our prayers acceptable because it is by the blood that he opens the avenues of approach to the throne of God. And now because of what Jesus does, I have access to the Father. The same blood that was applied to the altar of incense has to be applied to our lives. Amen? A matter of fact, they're not only pleasing to God our prayers, but they're also like a sweet-smelling aroma. They're like an incense before the Lord. Every time I pray, it's an incense before God. Woo! And he's up there doing this. I come into the office the other day. Somebody that's been some time back had put some of them plug things in my sockets that put off an odor. A lot of people don't like to go in my office because it's a little smelly, a little manly. But someone helped me out, if you know what I mean. And they, I think they're trying to tell me something, but I don't know exactly what they're trying to tell me. But I walked in, I man, that smells so good. And it hit me when I was putting this together that all of a sudden, out of nowhere, it's like... I could tell you sometimes in my little hometown, I was raised in a small home, a small town, and I knew when Katie Smith was baking pies. Oh, Katie Smith's cooking. You could smell it a block away. And there's something about a church that has a sweet aroma to it. Though you sometimes can't smell it with the natural nose, you come in and there's just something about the aroma and the beauty of the Lord in that place because of the prayers of the saints. They are, these prayers are perpetual, continual, ever living, never stopping, always near the hear of God. There are prayers that saints have prayed over a hundred years ago that have never been answered as of yet, but did you know they're still before the throne of God as incense before him? There are people that's been buried in the ground for 50 years and some of their prayers have not been heard, but yet in the ear of God, them voices are still hammering those prayers. They're forever, they're perpetual, and God is up there listening to those prayers. Can you have an amen? The altar of incense can also be seen as a picture of the intercession of Christ. Just as the brazen altar of sacrifice in the courtyard was a type of Christ's death on our behalf, it represents his work on the earth the altar of incense in the holy place is a type of Christ's mediation on our behalf which represents his work in heaven. In other words, when Jesus was on the cross, he said, it is finished. Isn't that wonderful? But he didn't say he was finished. He said, it is finished. What's he talking about? Redemption is done. Salvation is done. I've paid the price. But he said, I'm not done. I'm fixing to get off this cross and I'm gonna be put in a tomb for three days and I'm gonna rise again. And then when I get done rising, I've got a work to do on your behalf yet. Everything I've done down here is being earthly, but I'm fixing to do a heavenly intercession for you. I'm gonna be your high priest. Oh, come on, somebody help me preach. <laughs> Hallelujah. That's what the altar of incense stands for. It stands for the intercessory of our high priest. Every time that priest went in there and put those altars on there, it was putting our prayers before the Father. Jesus Christ has went into the heavenlies and he's presenting our case and he's presenting your prayer and my prayer before the Father in heaven. Oh God, 
The altar of incense was situated before the mercy seat of the ark. It was in perfect alignment behind the veil, which is a picture of our advocate standing in the presence of the Father. It's Jesus standing before God. And when I pray, he says, hey, Father, kids praying, hear that? I, you got to hear it. You know why? Look on my back. Look at my hands. Look at my feet. Look at my pierced brow. Look at my side. I paid the price. I've opened the avenues of approach where that man can come boldly to the throne of grace and obtain mercy and help in his time of need. He's interceding on my behalf. Listen to what Hebrews 9.24 says. I'm about to get happy. For Christ has not entered into the holy place made with hands. When Jesus went off the cross, he didn't get up and go into the tabernacle of Moses or in the, or in the tabernacle of Solomon or any other tabernacle. Let me read it again. For Christ has not entered into the holy places made with hands. He's not went into an earthly tabernacle. He hasn't visited the palace of praise. He said, which are the figures of the true? In other words, he said, the tabernacles were a type and shadow of the true. That's what we're preaching about here today. But he went into heaven itself now to appear in the presence of God for us. Yeah. Hallelujah. Give him praise. The continual burning incense represents the perpetual nature of Christ's mediation and intercessory for you and I. Christ intercedes on our behalf and it's a sweet smell and savor before God which is acceptable. He's accepting our prayers now. We who were alienated from God, we are brought near by the blood of Jesus Christ. We who were afar off are brought in. And now I don't have to stay in a courtyard begging forgiveness all the time. I can go in to the altar of incense for myself. I can go into the holy place that was restricted in the Old Testament. Somebody ought to get happy with Terry over there. That's why the Hebrews 7.25 says, wherefore he is able, say able, to save them to the uttermost, the uttermost, that come unto God by seeing that he ever liveth to make intercessory for them. He's always praying. His work ain't done. He's our heavenly intercessor. He's our high priest in heaven praying our petitions. And Romans 8 and 34 says, who is he that condemneth? Is it Christ who died? Yea, rather he's risen from the dead who's even at the right hand of God making intercessory for us. The fact that the incense was always burning also speaks of our lives, that our lives must be a wick burning by the touch of the Holy Spirit where the light of the world, where a city set on a hill that cannot be hid. Amen. Aaron was instructed to burn incense on the altar each morning and at twilight, it's to burn all day long. It's never to go out. Also, them always burning incense represents them being perpetual. Therefore, we should always pray like our master prayed. Luke 18 and 1 tells us men ought to always to pray and not faint. We got two choices, pray or faint. That's it. 
You know why people are weak? They're not praying. First Thessalonians 5 and 17 says, pray without ceasing. Does that mean I just got to lock myself up all the time? You know, I'm praying all the time. I'm driving down the road and I see something, oh Lord, something triggering my mind, Lord, touch so-and-so. And just start praying. I'll be in Walmart pushing a cart and get my mind on something. Start praying about it in my mind. You just pray constantly. You don't always have to be on your knees in a prayer closet somewhere. We pray without ceasing. We cannot grow in our sanctification without a prayer life. That's what this is all about. Prayers of the most importance, amen? That's what this station represents. We can pray, we can have confidence because we are offering prayers upon the altar, trusting in Jesus, our eternal, perfect, and faithful high priest and intercessor to intercede for us. When I pray, I'm expecting Jesus to pick up my prayers. And when I don't have the perfect language to be able to express myself in the right way, I trust that Jesus will interpret it for me and that he'll know my heart and pray what is in my heart. Come on, somebody. Aren't you glad that you're not nitpicked by God and say, well, he didn't pray that quite right? Amen. I've even prayed before and get tongue-tied and say, well, Lord, you know what I mean. Amen. I've even backed up in some of my prayers before. Well, you, that didn't sound right, God. And, and sometimes I think God just chuckles. Amen. Thank God it ain't my eloquence. Thank God I don't have to be articulate. Come on, somebody. Like the old farmer said one time, didn't have any education. All I know, Lord, my hog sick, heal it. Amen. And I think them prayers are so meaningful to God. Don't you? Listen to what Hebrews 10, verse 20 through 22 says. Having therefore, brethren, boldness, say boldness, to enter in the holiest. Did you hear that? I don't have to be afraid or intimidated anymore. I don't have to be ashamed and condemned anymore. I don't have to stand afar off and wonder at the amazement of God. But with boldness, I can go into the holiest of all. And for myself, I can taste and see that the Lord is good. Amen. He says, and having therefore, brethren, boldness to enter in the holiest by the blood of Jesus, it's by the blood. By a new and a living way, this is the new and the living way for the church. This is the way we are to live, which he hath consecrated for us. It's not been a work that we've accomplished ourselves. It's a work that he's already accomplished for us. My goodness, is this not, man, we could preach forever on this. And he done it through his veil, which is to say his flesh. He purchased this new and living way by piercing his flesh. It cost him his life. And having a high priest, now we do over the house of God. I want to tell you that if I'm your leader, you're in trouble. I want to tell you who the leader of this church is. His name is Jesus Christ through the person of the Holy Spirit. Amen. And then verse 22, let us draw near with a true heart. He's saying don't come hypocritically. Come with a true heart and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience. You gotta be sanctified to go into this table of incense and your body's washed with pure water. He's saying, in other words, it, it's got, your sanctification's gotta run deep. If you're gonna go into that holy place and you're gonna pray the type of prayers he wants you to pray at this altar, 
He said, your life is going to have to be washed. It's going to have to be pure. It's going to have to be clean. If we truly believe that Jesus answers our prayers, and if we really, really believe he's our intercessor, then why aren't we praying more? What's happened to us? Amen? Because of time, I'm going to reel one or two more symbolisms concerning the altar. There are many, many, many more, but time won't permit me, and I'm just going to try to hit the highlights. Look at verse 9 with me of our text. You shall offer no strange incense thereon, nor burnt sacrifice, nor meat offering, neither shall you pour drink offering upon it. I've read the scripture, I don't know how many times I read that, and I thought, yeah, I, I knew that. But then I thought, why? I never checked into why. Why, why did he not want that to happen? We see that the altar of incense was never to be used for a burnt offering. It was never to be used for a grain offering. It was never to be used for a drink offering. I thought, well, okay, but why? And if you, them three things right there are sermons within themselves. I could preach a sermon on every one of those offerings. I looked them up and studied them and read them this week to refresh myself. And I thought, and I started writing, I said, whoa, 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 I'm not on the drink offering. I get to chasing these rabbits, and before long, I got four or five sermons in one. So I had to throw all that away or put it to the side. That's a different sermon for a different time. But if you'll go back and if you'll study the different offerings, you'll see how all three of these different offerings pertain to our personal needs. The grain, the meat, and the drink offerings were offerings showing our dependence upon God and our thankfulness and our gratitude for his provision. These offerings had to be made on the brazing altar representing that the needs, our needs, would be provided through the sacrifice of redemption itself through Jesus Christ. Though you can't earn them, you can't work for them, their provisions are already made by you partaking of the blood of Jesus at the cross. Christ has paid the price for all of our provision of life. He sustains us, and all of our needs are met by the crucifixion of the cross itself. Can I have an amen? amen. Through his stripes, we're healed, we're blessed, we're delivered, we're saved, we're filled. Amen. My God shall supply all of my needs according to his riches through Christ Jesus. Amen? Man's provision, man's provision comes by the way of the cross. So this tells me that the prayers on the altar of incense is different than the prayers on the brazen altar. All of the prayers that is focused on self is made at the brazen altar in the courtyard. But the prayers at the altar of incense in the holy place has nothing to do with self at all. There are kingdom prayers that are prayed at the altar of incense, prayers concerning God's will, God's desire, God's plans, God's purposes, and not ours. That's what the altar of incense is all about. It's found in Psalms 37, verse 4, when he says, Delight thyself also in the Lord, and he shall give you the desires of your heart. In other words, this represents the altar of incense. If those of you who can't see the tag, this represents the brazen altar. This is outside the holy place. This is inside the holy place. This here is where I go, and I begin to try to pray God's purpose, God's plan, God's prayers, God's desire. It is here that as I begin to pray and delight myself in him, what happens? He begins to give me the desires of my heart. Does that mean if I want a new car, he'll give me a new car? No. Does that mean that if I want $1,000, he'll give me $1,000? Does that mean if I need bread on my table, he's going to give me bread? That has nothing to do with this altar. 
What happens at this altar, as I begin to pray, my desires and my ambitions fade out and God begins to take of his desire and his heart and he begins to put it in me so that he can pray his will in, on earth through me that his will might be accomplished. He gives me his desires. Can I have an amen? Most people only know about prayers of petition. Found in Matthew 7, ask and it shall be given. Seek, ye shall find. God bless me. God touch me. God deliver me. God heal me. God meet this need. God meet that need. God touch my son. God help me with this. God, all of those prayers are petitioning prayers that we pray outside out here at the brazen altar because all of those needs are met by the blood of Jesus that he's already given us right out here. Most people know very little about praying the will of God or the heart of God. It's a different level of ministry. It's a different level of Christianity. They know little about praying the word. You pray the word, you're praying the will of God. There's power in the word. Come on, somebody. I don't have time to go into it, but I want to tell you, there's times I just take my Bible and I take for certain scriptures and I throw them back at God. I say, Lord, this is your will, and I present this before you, and I quote that word before God in my prayer life. I'm praying the word. I'm believing the word. I stand on the promise of the word, and I'm praying the will of God when I pray the word of God. It was Paul that said in Philippians 4 and 6, I'm about to get somewhere. Hang with me. Be careful for nothing. Don't be anxious about anything. But in all things, say all things, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let our requests be made known unto God. There are not only petition prayers made at the brazen altar outside in the courtyard, but there's also prayers of supplication, intercessory, and thanksgiving that is made in the altar of incense in the holy place. This isn't to say that the brazen altar prayers ain't important. Jesus taught his disciples how to pray, didn't he not? And how did he start it out? He starts out at the altar of incense. Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed. He's praising. He's worshiping. He's reverence. He's at the altar of incense. Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Now he's praying the will of the Father. He's also seeing that he's king. He's representing his kingship, his sovereignty, his deity by saying, thy kingdom come, thy will be. So he's honoring God as God, and he's lifting up God in the holy most position. He's in a form of worship. He's in a form of adoration. He's humble before God, and he's praying, not my will be done, but thy will be done. That's what the altar of incense is. But then all of a sudden he shifts. And give us this day our daily bread. He's praying for provision. Forgive us of our debts. Forgive us of our trust. Now he's praying for forgiveness. That happens here. Why? Because it's here that that need has already been met by the atoning death of Jesus. Oh, but he was over here. I got to start all over. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us of our debts. As we forgive our debtors. Now what's he doing? He's interceding on the behalf of somebody else. He's not praying for himself here. He's praying for the other people. He's praying for the sinner. Praying for the transgressor. 
Hallelujah. And then he said, lead us not into temptation. You know what he's praying for? Guidance. Lead me, oh God. Direct me, oh God. And then he runs back over here. Deliver us from evil. Deliverance is by the way of the cross. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and forever and forever and forever. He goes back into a form of worship. Ninety percent of our prayer life is there and not here. We see that the altar of incense had four horns on each corner, just like that of the brazen altar. It had them too. Somebody asked me, well, what kind of horns were they? Were they trumpets? I said, no, 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 horns isn't talking about musical instruments like a trumpet or a trombone. They're referring to horns in the shape like the horns on an animal's head. They had a curvature to them where you hook onto them. The difference in these horns on the brazen altar and the ones on the altar of incense are only different in their purpose, but they look the same. The purpose of the horns on the brazen altar were for the people who had sinned so that they could come running and lay hold of the horns of the altar on the brazen altar to obtain forgiveness. In 1 Kings chapter 1, verse 50 through 53, we see that uh, uh, Adoniah came running and laid hold of the horns of the altar because he was afraid of what King Solomon was going to do to him. This also happened, this also happened at the brazen altar, which is a symbol of the redemption of Jesus Christ. Everyone who comes and lays hold of the altar at the foot of the cross can receive forgiveness. Their prayers are like the publican in Luke 18 where he beats his chest violently. Forgive me, have mercy on me, I'm a sinner. Man, when you're praying that intense, you're hanging on to a horn. When you're, oh, you're humble, you're broken, you're hanging on the horn, you're pleading for mercy. That happens out here. Because redemption is at the brazen altar. Can I have an amen? We also see that the horns provided uh, uh, refuge for fugitives. The fugitives would come running in and grab a hold of the horns of the altar and they would pray and they would find asylum there because they held on to the horns. They found mercy. They found forgiveness. That's what that brazen altar is all about. However, the horns of the altar of incense was a symbol of that of supplication and intercessory. It represents bearing down in your prayers. It represents perseverance. It speaks of intensity, praying through, them hot, passionate, intense prayer. It speaks of delivering your soul type prayer as if to say, I'm unloading my burden. I'm burdening out of the sense of burden and urgency. You're praying. You feel it. It's an intense desire. It's birthing pains for that, for the kingdom of God that God has put into your heart. God impregnated your spiritual womb and he burdened you and you're carrying the labor pains of his desire. You're carrying the labor pains of, of that which he's wanting you to birth and you're interceding and you can't be happy till you deliver it. It's called Zion travailing. We've lost that in the church. 
It's Gethsemane prayers that Jesus prayed. He prayed so intense that his blood vessels erupted in his face and blood come through the pores of his skin and he said, not my will be done, but thine, it was violent. Has nothing to do with Jesus' will. He's submitting his will to God and he's praying, Lord, let your will be done through me. Show me, lead me, guide me, empower me, anoint me, reveal to me. God, help me to accomplish the task of my assignment for you today. revealed in Romans 8, 26, this type of prayer. Likewise, the Spirit also helpeth our infirmities. There's times, it goes on, it says, for when we know not what we should pray. There's times I'm so burdened, I don't have the vocabulary to share my thought. There's times I'm so troubled, I can't even bear, bear it with words. It's just brokenness. The Spirit says, likewise, the Spirit also help with our infirmities when we don't even know what we should pray as we ought. But the Spirit himself maketh intercessory for us with groanings and moanings that cannot be uttered. There's times when God begins to put heaviness on me, maybe for somebody, maybe for something and maybe I don't even know what it's about. But it's just so heavy. I just go before him. I grab a hold of the horns of the altar of incense. And I say, I can't get up till I'm satisfied. I can't get up till I find relief. Something's wrong. Lord, you're wanting something to be accomplished. You're needing somebody to pray about something. You're needing someone to do something. God, I haven't picked up on it. I don't even know how hard to pray. Don't have the words. Oh, but God, and then all of a sudden, I'll find myself. Oh, oh, oh. And I just moan and groan and hold my sides and I pray. I waller in the floor and get snot all over my face. And then sometimes I've seen it in Pentecostal realms where you thought men and women were dying when they were praying. There's been times for my own home church where there'd be such a rumble you could hear it outside of the doors of the men and women and they're travailing and praying and moaning and wallowing in the altars for some somebody. They're interceding, they're hanging on, they're persistent. It's hot praying. It's not about, oh God, heal Johnny. Oh God, give me some food today. Oh God, help me to have a better job. Oh God, provide better clothing for me. Oh God, help my washing machine to be touched. All that's prayed over there. But this is praying, oh God, what is it you want to show me? And many times in that type of praying, I'll rise up with new vision. Or I need to go somewhere, I need to say something, I need to do something, or I don't sometimes even know what happened, I just released it. And God's been able to be glorified because now, as a result of intercessory, Jesus takes them prayers, he presents them before the Father, it's a sweet-smelling aroma, and whatever God wanted to accomplish is accomplished as a result of my obedience, being at the horns of intercessory. 
at the altar of incense. Can I have an amen? Give the Lord praise. There's times that the Spirit has to pray to you. And we know when the Spirit prays to us, he prays the will of God. How do I know that? First John 5, 14, 15. This is confident that we have in him that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, whatsoever we ask, we know that we have the petitions we desire for him. If the Holy Spirit's praying through me, and the Holy Spirit only leads and guides me into all truth, therefore I'm praying the will of God, then I can be assured that if I pray the will of God, he hears me. That's the confidence I have in him. And if we know that he hears me, then I know that I got the petition I desire of him. It's gonna happen. Revival will not happen until we get to this type of praying. We want it, we desire it, but we're not ready for it. Because when revival comes, you better have a prayer life like this in order to be able to handle it, or that revival will crush you. I want to tell you, carrying the glory is weighty, and you got to carry it right. And let me tell you, when revival happens, it ain't up just to the pastor to the pastor. The congregation's got to have a sense of wisdom. They got to have a sense of discernment. They got to have a sense of direction to help the pastor maintain an atmosphere for the glory of God to where craziness doesn't come over. And I'm gonna, this will be in my sermon to next week. But I wanna tell you something, revival attracts bugs. We gotta get ready for it. When I was a young boy, I talk about my home church a lot. Before every service, when I was younger, the pastor would have people to come early and pray. Church started at seven o'clock on Sunday nights. It wasn't nothing for at six o'clock. People would already start gathering an hour early and start praying for that service. Amen. They pray, oh God, to not touch the people. And people would come to their mind and say, you know, Johnny's struggling. God, would you touch Johnny? They're interceding. God, so and so, they've been sick with cancer. God, tonight, would you heal them tonight in this service? God, would you manifest yourself upon them today? God, would your will be done in this service tonight? Would you allow the Holy Spirit to come and have his perfect will? Would you be Lord of the church tonight? We want to make you Lord. And they just pray them type of prayers. And they would intercede for now. And sometimes that would carry over. It'd be 10, 15 after sometimes before we could start the service because they were intense in prayer. Not counting Tuesday prayer meetings, Thursday prayer meetings, Saturday night prayer meetings. Come on. There's an old man, and I've told this story over and over and over. Maybe boring to you, but it's part of my heritage. It's part of why I am where I'm at today. An old man by the name of Mel, Mel Parks. I don't know if that was his real name. That's all I knew him by was Mel. I don't know what it stood for. Mel is all I know. A little old man about that tall. Looked like a Chinaman. His eyes were a little squinty. Wore big glasses, a little short guy. He kept his head down. He walked like this. He's way up in his 80s. He was my best friend's uncle. We'd say, can we spend the night, Uncle Mill? Everybody called him Uncle Mill. Yeah, come over. And we'd spend the night after church. For one reason, one reason only. He couldn't hear very good. And when he went to bed, we snuck out. We roamed the town all night long. Don't be pious with me. Some of y'all done the same thing. Mom and daddy thought we was in bed at Mel's house. Well, we weren't. We were all over the town. 
And we'd climb in about, about 5.30. He'd wake up about 5.30 in the morning. So we had to get up before he did. Because the first thing he's going to do at daylight, he's going to come in there and he's going to start pinching on you. Get up, boys. It's time for breakfast. Time for breakfast. And, man, we've been up all night. And sometimes we get just get to sleep. And here you come. Many, many, many nights. He'd put us to bed about 9 o'clock. Then he'd go in his bedroom. He'd kneel down. He'd start interceding. He didn't know my name. I'd say, Chris, my best friend, he'd say, Uncle Mill, it's Kent, not Timmy. Okay, Timmy, what do you want for breakfast? I mean, that's the way he was. And he'd be praying in there, Lord, touch Chris. God, save his soul. And Lord, let the blood of Jesus. And man, he's praying the word and he's interceding. Lord, touch Johnny. And he'd go down the list. Johnny and Kevin and, and Chris and Jimmy and me. And he'd get to me, and Timmy. Lord, don't leave Timmy out. And everybody said, let's go. And I said, man, I can't go with him in here praying like that. We got to be reverent here, man. I, had a, I just couldn't do it. And he'd pray and he'd pray. Johnny couldn't leave. I couldn't leave. We was the two main corporates who couldn't leave. Chris, come on, guys. It's all right. And I said, Chris, I can't do it. Man, I said, when he gets done praying, we'll slip out. 9.30, 10, 10.30, 11, 11.30, 12, sometimes 1, 1.30. He's still in there, woo, bawling and squalling. And there have been many, many times we didn't share it because we were too prideful and arrogant. But we'd go and we'd get in a corner somewhere and wipe our eyes because we were tearing up and we were crying. We felt it. He's praying conviction on us. He's praying that power on us. And needless to say, I am where I'm at today because there was some male parkses they got down at the foot of their bed at the foot of the altar of incense. And their prayer wasn't about him. He was poor. He didn't have but a little bit of the income of Social Security. That's all he had. He lived in an old house with lean floors and a caving-in roof. And he didn't have much furniture or anything else. But there's one thing he had. He had God in his corner. And he wasn't worried about his house. And he wasn't worried about his provision. And he wasn't worried about all those kinds of things. Yes, I'm sure he prayed about him from time to time. But the prayers I heard him pray was mentioning my name and Chris's name and Johnny's name and Jimmy's name and Kevin's name before the throne of God and I want to tell you that one by one we begin to give our lives to Jesus Christ and I'm here to tell you some of them are not saved they've been backslidden but Mel Parks' prayers are still ringing in the ear of God and they're a sweet smelling Savior before the Lord and I know without a shadow of a doubt that we as a church has got to move our focus off of the brazen altar and get into the most holy place with God and get to a place where we pray prayers of incense, burn incense before God. Would you stand with me this morning? I'm going to ask you to do something different today than ever before. Hallelujah. I want you, if you would, just to move this way. Just move this way. I'll give you a stretch. Just stand. Don't deal. Just come. Come. Real fast. Just stand. And what I want you to understand is that you just walked into the holy place right now. You're at the altar of incense. That's where you're at. 
You come with boldness, with your heart sprinkled. You who sometimes were foreoffered are made nigh by the blood of the Lamb. You've left the brazen altar. You've went through the laver. You got a relationship with God through the new birth. And now you're willing to say, I'm not going to live out there in that courtyard all my life just praying about my needs and always having to repent and always, it's there if I need it. Thank God for that. But today I want you to turn your focus and I want you to get somebody on your mind or the church on your mind or revival on your mind or whatever in that kind of a category. Get it on your mind. Now I want you to pray for them right now. Start praying. Start bearing down. Get urgent about it. Who is it you're praying about? Get, get urgent. Get urgent. Don't let, don't let distractions happen. God, touch the lost loved ones that's being prayed for right now, the sons, the daughters. God, let the advocate of Jesus hear what's, what these moms and dads are praying about, what, what they're anguishing about, what, what they're presenting before you here this morning. God, we need to get intense about your will, Father. God, begin to move in the Holy Spirit and begin to lay things on people's hearts right now. Let their hearts be turned to praying the will of God. God, if there's somebody here that's struggling that needs to be in a brazen altar, then lead them to that brazen altar. I'm not asking them to pray prayers if they're not ready. If they need a brazen altar, that's okay. It's necessary. It's important. But the saints, God, lead us to the altar of incense this morning. God, help us. We've been atoned for. Now, God, atone. Let the atonement be for them lost loved ones. Give us revival. Give us the glory of God in the church, oh God. Lord, I pray over this place. <laughs> right now, in the mighty name of Jesus, let the heaviness of your presence, the weightiness of your glory, God, begin to move in this place, Lord. Let our hearts be turned to your will, God, and your heart. Let us begin to have the revelation and the discernment of the knowledge of your will and help us to pray it. Help us to know it, God. And when we don't know why we should pray, then set upon the hearts of the people with groanings that cannot be uttered, God. Let the Spirit of God pray the will of God through them, even if they don't even know what's happening. Oh, God. God, our world's going to hell. Our country's being lost. The enemy's taken over. We need you, oh God. We intercede on our nation, Lord. We pray for over our nation, God. We pray, God, that you would put hedges of protection around the, the cities and around the people, God, and that you would bring the sinners home and that you'd spark a revival and awakening throughout our land. Give us hope. Oh, God. It's your will to save. It's your will to deliver. And God, we pray intercessory prayers over our schools, over our children that are being slaughtered by the wiles of the enemy and the seductiveness of devils. We bind the spirits of hell. We speak the word of God that declares revival, Lord, in the name of Jesus.